Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, verses 11 through 15. Let's go for it. And God himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, excuse me, till we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, are y'all still with me? Awesome. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Last verse, 15. But speaking the truth in love, I love the way it puts it here, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus. God, speak through me today. Cause me to be an oracle of your spirit. May your people be edified. May Jesus be glorified and Satan terrified. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Look at your neighbor and just ask them a real quick question that they're going to get uncomfortable with. But just look at them. Go ahead. Look at them in their good eye and say, neighbor, are you called to be a pastor? Okay. Wait for an answer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Poor Connie. She turned red. It's it's all good. She's got her mask on, but I could still read her lips saying, no, no. (laughs) Are you called to be a pastor? I want to change your mind on that today. Uh, Because many of you may think you're not called to pastoral ministry, but I'm going to show you that every believer has been called to some level of pastoral ministry. And we're going to see what that looks like. Is that all right? Let's jump into this word and start teaching. I decided to dress like a pastor today. I figured I need to put my skinny jeans away and dress my age. Here's the question, because I get two questions asked me most often, number, or three questions rather. One, people ask me, what am I called to do? How do I figure that out? Secondly, they ask me, um, how do I discern or know the voice of God? But then the third question they ask me is, are you really a pastor? <laughs> and I think we've allowed the world and even our American westernized church society tell us what a pastor is supposed to be. But I want to take us back to scripture, and I want to teach us what the scripture says that being a pastor is and the role of a pastor in our lives for a few reasons. One, some of you might actually be called to pastor. On some level, we're all called to shepherd folks who are broken and who need healing. But thirdly, my hope is that by this message, by the end of this message, you will reap some of the benefits of pastoral ministry. I think sometimes we uh, create a chasm and a distance from pastors because we don't know that we're actually supposed to have access to our shepherds. If you believe that, say yes. Okay, I got three people with me. We're going to make it through this. So here's the question. What is a pastor? If you're taking notes, the term pastor is actually rarely used in scripture. The word that's most used to relate to a pastor or someone who shepherds people is actually the word shepherd. Everybody say shepherd. So when you see scripture, in scripture, especially in the New Testament, when it talks about a shepherd, it's really talking about the pastoral ministry. Now, we call this series the fourfold ministry, but many of us who have grown up in the charismatic or apostolic faith, we've heard the fivefold ministry. Why did we change it or why did we kind of make this the fourfold ministry? Because in scripture, that scripture we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says pastor, the term pastor and teacher are actually supposed to be synonymous. They're supposed to work together. You'll, You'll see if you study the scriptures in the pastoral role, that Paul or or the the pastoral epistles tell us that a pastor should actually be a teacher. And we're going to see that in in just a bit. But I want to explain from the get that the term pastor and teacher in Ephesians 4, they're actually one in the same calling. So there's not really fivefold, there's fourfold. Did that make sense? 
All right, so when we talk about what is a pastor, what we're actually talking about just in general is someone who's a shepherd of the flock. A pastor is called to be a shepherd of the flock. Here's the thing you got to understand about shepherding. In the time of Israel, or the, the Hebraic culture, shepherds were not honored. They were not a... Um, high and lifted up, almighty kind of position. We've made it somewhat uh, that kind of position. But literal shepherds who would take care of sheep were actually kind of looked down upon. They were dirty. They were kind of disgusting. Didn't make a lot of money. Um, and because they would have to spend all of their time with the sheep, they had to miss a lot of religious ceremonies. And because of that, Jewish people did not really look highly on shepherds. And Jesus, God himself, comes, and you're going to see in a bit, that he tells us, I'm going to give you shepherds. I need you to put on your Hebrew brain. When he says that, you're thinking honor. You're thinking, oh, great calling, powerful. That's not what they're thinking. You're calling me to be a dirty, smelly, get bitten, <laughs> look down upon person. That is the call of a spiritual shepherd, to be someone who spends time with the flock. And it's not necessarily the most honored call, even in our culture today. Nonetheless, we've been called to do it. What's the role of a pastor? I want to give you three things if you're taking notes. Three roles of a pastor. Number one is to care for the flock. The number one role for a pastor is to care for the flock. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. We know that Jesus is our ultimate example of what a pastor is. And for every pastor who might be watching or listening, who gets discouraged because maybe you have some disciples who turn their own way or create issues, Jesus, the perfect pastor, had 12, small church, little church plant, and one of them was Judas. I want to say that because sometimes pastors take too much ownership in the discipleship of those we disciple. And we base our failure and success on your failure and success. As a pastor, I have got to remove my identity from your achievement. Oh, this is rough. All right. Does that make sense? Look at the, the, the heart of Christ in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus uses a language here uh, saying that I see the people, and let me give you some context. Jesus has just casted out a bunch of demons. He's almost done somewhat of a crusade, powerful meeting. And here come the Pharisees, the religious pastors, uh, or the spiritual leaders of the day. And they say, Jesus cast out these demons by devils. <laughs> And the, Jesus ignores that whole verse, doesn't even acknowledge what the Pharisees say, the insult. All he says is, I see the people, and they're scattered, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus does not listen to the noise of criticism. He focuses on the pain of the sheep. I, I want to say this because, pastors, we've gotten caught up with trying to pass to the world instead of the people in front of us. We've gotten caught, every week I've got to delete comments off of TikTok because Gen Z is not as nice as they promote themselves to be. Uh, and every week I get a comment of like, like one time, and it's funny, so I'm healed, I'm, I'm fat, but I'm sexy, so you can laugh at this, it's okay. Um, but one of the comments was like, I can't tell if he's fat or skinny. Another comment was like, he's awkwardly shaped. And I look at that, and y'all know, like I'm, it's funny to me now, but at first I was like, oh, I'm speaking tongues you don't need interpretation for, brother. And I go to, you know what we do. I go to their TikTok page to see how ugly they are because uh, I'm still a work in progress uh, so I can judge them in my heart because they just insulted me. And I'm like, Lord, if you just give me one comment, I will crush this 16-year-old's life. And then God starts putting pictures of people 
in my church who are going through tough times. And he starts saying, why are you so concerned about what they think instead of pastoring those who need a shepherd in front of you? So if you're a pastor, if you're in this, if you're in this space and pastor, you've been called to be a pastor, you're watching online, I want to encourage you, shepherd the flock. Don't shepherd the masses. Don't shepherd the world. Shepherd the flock. Focus on your flock. Focus on your flock's children's ministry, on your flock's youth ministry. Don't worry about what's happening with the church down the street. Stay in unity. But the goal is to focus on shepherding your flock because the number one role of a pastor is to shepherd and care for the flock. The heart of a shepherd should be positioned to help make sense of life with knowledge and understanding. Let me say that one more time. The heart of a shepherd or a pastor should be positioned to help make sense of life with knowledge and understanding. Where did I get that from? Look at Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. The word says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. We're going to see in our next point that part of point number two, the role of a pastor is to be a teacher of the word. Somebody say preach the word. Everybody didn't say it. Say, preach the word. How do we get to a place where we become what God's called shepherds to be? It says here in Jeremiah 3.15 that we've been called to shepherd folks with knowledge and understanding. What does that look like? It looks like teaching, preaching, and discipleship. We're called to help you make sense of life. The problem is we have too many pastors who haven't made sense of life for themselves. We have pastors who don't pray until it's time to preach. Don't read their word unless they're preparing a sermon. And so we don't have a word to speak to the people that we shepherd in their season of, of distraught or, or, or feel. Like we need pastors to learn the word again. We need pastors to understand scripture again so that we don't get caught up in pop psychology or depending on man-made logic to get people free, but we rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that we don't uh, work through therapy. God works through all of that. We want all of that knowledge and understanding, but we got to stop being stupid Christians. We got to stop being ignorant pastors. Pastors, I want to ask you, when's the last time you just took some time and just dived into the word? Just got your eschatology theology together. I've got a friend, Pastor Phil, and I mean, I'm nowhere close to him. He spends maybe about 30 hours a week on his sermon. And I'm like, oh, bless you. Every week. But then about twice a year, he actually goes away for a week on a retreat just to study the word, just to dive into it, just to come up with sermons and topics and how to address different things. Why? Because the role of a pastor is not just to comfort you, not just to take care of you. It's actually to teach, train, and disciple you. Somebody say yes. This is good teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4 Verse 2, Paul, the spiritual father of Timothy, is giving Timothy some encouragement because Timothy is a young guy and he's pastoring a growing church, the church of Ephesus, that would eventually be more than 30,000 people, uh, a lot of historians believe. So Timothy is young. And he's trying to figure out this pastor thing. Because remember, the church is new. So we don't have a lot of examples to look to. Here's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Watch this. And be prepared in season and out of season. Watch this. We're not going to like this part. Correct. Rebuke. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I'm going to have to do some work here, so let me take a sip. 
And let me start off with a nice one, encouragement. Pastors have called to be encouraged. If you go to a church where you get beat up every Sunday and you don't ever walk out with your head hanging high, find a different church. Even if it's here, if you start getting beat up every Sunday and you never receive encouragement, you never get enlightenment, you never walk out with your hope and faith a little bit higher, there's something dangerous about that. And somehow pastors, we've become uh, this kind of way where, where it's like we think pessimism is spiritual. And so why do I say that? Because I see pastors, instead of encouraging people, they're looking for what's wrong all the time. I know you can't say yes because uh, it's too traumatic, but I, I know what it is to go to a place and, 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 and not ever receive encouragement. As a pastor, we have got to have words of encouragement in times of despair. But in order to do that, we've got to have the hope of glory inside of us. As pastors, we are hope dealers. That's a little old and corny, but we're not dope. <laughs> Sarah said, yeah, it's not dope dealing. We're hope dealing. We have to be a people who encourage. When folks, and, and here's the hard part, because sometimes y'all come with issues I have no clue how to solve. <laughs> and it's like you, Jaden starts talking to me about business and numbers, and I'm like, Selah. And I may not be able to specifically encourage you in, the in, 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 um, in every area of your life. But I ought to be able to show you that hope is our portion. You ought to feel like David in the Psalms where he said, I would have given up hope except I saw the Lord in the land of the living. There needs to be words of encouragement, but not just encouragement. This is the part we're not going to like. Correction. Now, let me give you a, let me tell you something you may not know. Most pastors hate correcting people. We are people pleasers, myself included. We want everybody to like us and correction is hard. But I got some insight here that I think might help us out. The word used here in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 to talk about correction, it really refers to correcting and exposing falsehoods. So part of the job of a pastor is when you start going down the road of bad theology, it's to check you and say, hey, let me show you the word and compare that with what you're learning and you'll see that what you're learning is false. That's the role of a pastor, to correct. Correction is not just telling you not to smoke weed or not to have sex or whatever your proclivity is. Part of correction and that what's, what is what provides discipleship is letting you know when you're living in falsehoods. I've got to not just correct your theology, I've got to correct your identity. Because sometimes as a pastor, I'm sitting with people who don't remember that they're a son of God. They don't remember that they're a, a daughter of the king. And part of my job is to correct that. You've been living a lie. You've been living beneath your means. Now, my problem is sometimes my correction and encouragement, they, they don't feel like correction and encouragement. I'm working on that. I'm pray my strength in the Lord. But nonetheless, as a, as a part of the flock, are, can I ask you this? Are you open to correction? Don't, don't answer, but, but I just want to ask you, are you even open to someone in authority exposing lies in your life? See, that's why even many of us stay distant from the pastor, because we don't want him to see what we're living in. Uh, somebody texted me the other day. I won't say who it was. I won't say any names, but she texted me. She said, Pastor Dell, you're kind of rough around the edges, but you're growing on me. And I texted her back. I said, truth is, it took me a long time to live vulnerably. And if we all live vulnerably, we'd all see that we're a little rough around the edges. I say that because can your pastor have permission to see your rough edges? (laughs) 
Amen, Reverend. Thank you, brother. I wonder how far, much farther you would be in your spiritual walk if you were open to correction. If you would lower your ego. If you would humble yourself. If you would admit that you don't know everything. All right, let me move on because I'm losing you. Third one, rebuke. Now, what's the difference between correction and rebuke? And I thought this was really cool when I started reading into what rebuke means. The word means to admonish or to give a charge. In our normal vernacular, when we talk about rebuke, that's when we come into what we think is traditionally correction. A rebuke is, no, baby, you're living in sin. Turn from your ways. Repent. No, that's not where you should be going. No, that's not what you should be doing. That's not who you should be doing. And sometimes you need a rebuke. It's so quiet in this Baptist church, but I'm going to preach the gospel whether you like it or not. The part of the role of being a pastor is to be able to admonish and charge people to a higher level than the low level they've been living to. Okay, this is the fun part. I was reading up on the etymology and the understanding of the word. Again, I don't speak Greek, but Google does. And I noticed that the original word here also translates to a couple of other things. It actually, the word rebuke there means also to honor. I was like, that doesn't seem, huh? And you know why it was strange to me? Because for so long, myself included, we rebuke without honoring. Hmm, that's good right there. And if you're gonna be a pastor, you're gonna have to learn how to honor people who don't deserve it. What does that even mean? We have these rules in our head and we think that because somebody's living a different lifestyle that we're not called to honor them. I remember when I first got on staff at uh, this church, the pastor said something real strange to me. He said, when I fight Satan, I fight him with honor. I was like, what kind of theology is that? I'm from the hood. You don't, when you got an enemy, you don't fight with honor. You throw chairs, you win. And I was like, that feels off to me. And he said something that blew my mind. I didn't agree at first, but after I thought about it, I said, that's good. He said, the reason, Dell, I say that I fight the enemy with honor is because I don't care who I'm fighting. I want nothing in me but honor. I want no matter who I'm fighting or where I'm going, I want the only thing to come out of me is honor. I don't want dishonor to be in me. So even if I try to fight my enemies with dishonor, I can't because all that's in me is honor. And part of what it means to be rebuked is also to be honored. That's so weird. As a pastor, we have to grow in rebuking and honor. But not only that, watch this. Another uh, meaning of the term. It also means to raise the price of something. That, I was like, okay, this is, I don't, J. Cho, I was like, uh, rebuke means to like rebuke, charge, admonish. It means to honor, but it also means to raise the price of something. So if I rebuke something, I'm raising the price in the original language. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, the reason you don't get it is because you live in a culture that would rather call out. But the culture we live in in the kingdom doesn't call you out, it calls you up. See, that's what rebuking is. It's raising the price. Man, I wish I had more black people in here. I'd get more amens. I said rebuking, it doesn't just mean that I correct you and that I get you to change your ways, but I've got to raise the price. I've got to raise you up. I've got to lift you higher. And see, if, I think if we honored people as we rebuked them, they would be more open to seeing that the stuff that they're living in needs to be falling away so that they can come higher. Look at your neighbor and say, come higher. Look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, raise your price. That's what rebuke is. Now, I want to ask you, are you open to a good rebuke? Yes. 
Should I get real? (laughs) Nate, yeah. (laughs) I use Jay Choi. You know what story I'm going to tell. It's a fun story. I was telling Jay Choi because he was doing some stuff that I didn't like, and I was like, I'm going to kill you. I can't wait to meet with you. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to just, whoo, I'm going to spiritually just... And I talked to him like that. We got that relationship. Don't, don't be scared. I ain't going to talk to you like that. Him and Kelly, they get it rough. And uh, for weeks, I've been telling him, I'm going to make some time. We're going to have a good talk. And so we sat down, and we had a talk. And it was a, it was a very hard but deep talk, and we're talking about it. And then afterwards, he calls his Uber, and he's getting ready to leave. And before he leaves, he goes, um, when are we going to have that hard talk that you were talking about? I was like, what do you mean? You said you, we're going to, like, really lay it. I was like, what do you think we did for the last two hours? <laughs> That's, that's what that was? <laughs> Him and Kelly make me feel like punks. But you know what it is? I'm hoping to practice as a pastor, and I'm not perfect at it, but I'm hoping as a pastor to honor this word, to rebuke people in a way where it doesn't feel like I'm diminishing your value, but I'm actually raising it. Wow. See, when you rebuke and people feel less valuable, you didn't really rebuke. You judged. A real rebuke will raise the value of something. All right, let me wrap this up because Pastor Andrew's looking at his clock. Number three, I'm trying to be good today. So we're talking about the role of a pastor, one, to care for the flock, two, to preach the word. But three, and again, I just want to say it just to make sure you hear it, a rebuke calls up, not out. But number three, this is interesting because I was going to stop with those two points and then I found another point. I believe that the role of a pastor is to gather the body of Christ for community. Where did you get that, Pastor Del? Many times in the Bible, when I see the term shepherd, it's partnered with another word in Scripture, the word scattered. I see it in Ezekiel, I believe it's 34, and a couple other spaces. And what tends to end up happening is that God will give a prophecy, and it sounds something like this. My people are scattered. And then he says in Ezekiel, but I will give them a shepherd. And you see over and over and over again that God tells the shepherd, gather my people. And it's a strange thought to think that part of the pastor's role is actually gathering. Now, let me stop for a second because I know that we live in 2022 and I don't need to go to church and I don't need to be a part. I find God all by myself. Great. It's just not biblical. Kelly, you still with me? Okay, because I've lost everybody else. I need to make sure I got at least one amen because this is going to get real tough right here. This is very anti-cultural for where we live because I can find God anywhere. Hmm. I'll deal with that another sermon. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of the believers together as is the manner, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now stop, because I know where you're, well, I I go to dinner with Christians. I'm I'm not forsaking them. That's not the word there. When it says assembly, it's actually literally referring to a worship service, a gathering. Now here's the deal. In the church of Ephesus, there was about 30,000 members in the church, what we would consider a mega church. But it didn't look like a mega church because they met in small homes and they worshiped on a weekly basis in small homes together. And you see Paul even starts telling those in the church in Corinth, that you ought to sing spiritual songs to one another. And Paul is encouraging the gathering of spiritual believers. I have never seen in my days on earth, I have never seen an on fire believer who has forsaken the gathering. I've never, I just haven't seen it. 
I've seen a lot of people depressed, struggling, who have withdrawn from the gathering, but I've never seen anybody who is maturing in their faith who says, I don't need the gathering. See, here's the problem. The enemy wants to isolate you so that it's easier to kill you. And some, don't preach, Dale, you're teaching today. Sometimes the hardest but most powerful thing that you can do for your down moments is to go to the gathering. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to be consistent to it. Because here's what happens. Some days, there are days, man, me and Pastor Andrew, we kind of check in almost every Sunday before service. How you feeling? What you feeling? Today, I was like, oh, I feel refreshed. I feel good. He's like the same. But there are moments where I come in and I go, bro, I ain't got it today. I could cry right now. I feel emotional. Because there are some days where it's like, y'all don't ever know it because I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to get on this stage and I'm going to pull the joy of the Lord up. But there are some days where I'm like, bro, I don't have the energy. And here's what happens. He's like, I got you. And my faith starts being strengthened by impartation of his faith. That's what happens. That, some of you have gone through tough seasons in this last season. And you've heard me give you this word. I know you're going through. I know it's really hard. Can you just keep coming to Sundays? Just even if you don't worship, even if you don't lift your hands, can you just, I, maybe I'm too Pentecostal. Maybe I'm too Pentecostal. I just believe there's something about the presence of God that shifts and changes things. I think there's something about the encouragement of the body of Christ. Now stop. We're not just talking about the assembly of the brethren, but I also believe that we need to be fellowshipping in community. And I want to talk to some of you who are not in full-time vocational ministry. It is dark in this world. And if your community in the world is stronger than your community in the house of the Lord and in the kingdom, you will not survive. The enemy will try to take you out. It is so difficult. One of the things that part of the pastoral role is to pull you out of isolation into community because you are not, as much as you want to, you are not meant to live alone. Okay, come here. You are not meant to struggle alone. You are not meant to have victories alone. Some of you have victories and nobody knows about it. We actually care about you. And part of the role of the pastor is to see those who have strayed, to leave the 99 that are doing okay, and go, I'm, I'm going to go get that knucklehead. Come on. And y'all know me. I'll show up at your house. I don't care. I dare you not to respond to my text. I got your information. I'll show up and knock on the door. And I've got some folks, they think they can only hang out with me, spend time with me when they're doing okay. Maybe I'll, I'll hang out with you if you're high. Get drunk and I'll still hang out with you. You ain't got to live right because my, li- my love far ex- outseeds your lifestyle. As a pastor, we have to love people beyond their issues so that they feel safe in community. You all, you've all seen the video of the little dumb deer. He ain't been around very long. And he ain't about to be around very long because with his other group, he's left them and he's by himself. And what do you always see when you watch Discovery Channel? The lion never goes after the group. He always looks for the one who's by themselves. I'll say this and then I'll move on. In Acts, I believe it's chapter 19. Is this all right? Is this, I can yell if you want me to. I can, I promise you. I, don't let my cute outfit. I can shout. I believe it's in Acts 19. It could be somewhere else, but it's in the book of Acts. There's a young man named Eutychus. And Eutychus is at a, a, a meeting that Paul's at. Now, y'all complain about my preaching. It's like an hour, maybe an hour plus. Paul's preaching from dinner all the way through the night. Dude, Eutychus is sitting in the windowsill. He falls asleep and grows tired, falls out the window, Connie, and dies. Apostle Paul stops his meeting because when someone dies in your service... You stop your meeting. Write that down. Someone dies, service is over. 
Paul stops the meeting, he walks downstairs, raises the dude back to life, and then the Bible says that he kept preaching until the morning. I wonder how... (laughs) I wonder how many of us have found ourselves tired. The problem is not getting tired. I'm your pastor, I speak in tongues, probably more than you all, and still grow tired. The problem is not whether you're tired or not, it's what my real estate agent friend said, it's all about location. It's about where you get tired. See, the problem with Eutychus and why he died was because he was halfway in and halfway out, just hanging out on the windowsill. I'm I'm not gonna get too involved, not gonna engage. I know Pastor Dell's begging us to serve and I have the capacity, but I don't know if I'm really committed. And so what happens is when struggle comes, you don't have a community of faith that can back you up because we don't know about your struggle. It's so quiet. We don't know about your pain and you refuse to be vulnerable. And that's why I stopped going to church because don't nobody you know, speak to me. Come here, come here, grow up, grow up. I want to tell you, and, and Enneagram 8 here, it is not easy to be vulnerable. It is not easy to share weaknesses. It's not easy to share struggle. But I have committed to living in vulnerability because I've seen more healing in vulnerability than I have in hiding. Yeah. It hurts sometimes, and it doesn't work out all the time. Sometimes I'm vulnerable, and I get hit hard. But I'd rather be vulnerable because there's healing there. Honesty is the price that you pay for healing. But, and, and I need you to hear this because you might be doing really well right now. This too shall pass. There's going to come a day where you, where it's hard to peel yourself off that bed. We had a member going through some tough times in our church and they just couldn't even go to back to bed. And I love Jay Choi because he's like my little mini me sometimes. He just knocks on their door, didn't ask permission. It's like, I don't care what you're doing. I'm gonna sit here and be depressed with you. Come on, let's go. That's, that's what family is. We, this is maybe a little too hood. We ride and we die together. But some of us are not reaping the benefits of community because we refuse to commit. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5, because I know you need a scripture to back up that last point. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. You see that word again? Scattered because they didn't have a shepherd. And we've, pastors, we've got to get better at gathering the people of God, not just for worship services. Many of you who were here at the beginning of our church, you remember I used to put groups together. You go hang out with that person. Why? Because you're scared of them. And it's hard to love something that you don't know. Don't tell me you, I love our church. You don't even know our church. Who have you gone to dinner with? Who have you taken out? Okay, stop, Dell. Ezekiel 34, 5. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and watch this, they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My heart as a pastor should be to make sure that not one person in our church, if it's up to me, is living in isolation. It's to do, and it's hard sometimes because y'all are crazy, and it's hard to keep up with everybody. But part of my job is to make sure that you stay in the fold so that, according to Ezekiel 34, you're not out by yourself getting ready to be devoured by depression, devoured by sexual immorality, devoured by the issues of this world and life. If you're still with me, say yes. All right. The call of a pastor. What does it mean to be ordained? How many of you don't know what it means when we use the term ordination or ordained? Let me see. I just did a whole thing on vulnerability. 
And you're like, I'm not going to show. Okay. I got you. Say, so what is ordination? Pastor Andrew, we ordained him. Was last year? I think it was. You're double ordained. Me too. Assemblies of God. We're superstars. What is ordination? What does it mean to be an ordained pastor? And I'll give you what it means to us in 2022. It just means a group of white people said it's good for you to preach. <laughs> Basically, a denomination or an authority will come together and they'll look at your life, they'll look at your education and whatever it is, and they'll say, you've been approved to do ministry. Now, is that biblical? Absolutely. Maybe not necessarily the ceremony and all the hoopla that we do, but you've got to be ordained. What does that look like? All right, I got you. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Because I want to restore apostolic order. What does that mean? When I say I want to restore apostolic order, I want to talk about those who went versus those who were sent. One more time. Those who went versus those who were sent. Look at me for a second. Why do I say this? Because there are a lot of people who pop up and call themselves pastors. For internet access and $60, you can also be a pastor ordained. I was on the streets one time ministering. This guy said, oh, I'm a pastor too. I said, oh, what denomination? He said, the universal love, rainbow, hearts and farts denomination. It's like, I'm ordained. I looked up the website. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And I, I want to be clear about this, that the calling of God on your life as a pastor should be affirmed by people around you. They should be able to look at your lifestyle and affirm and confirm. And that's what it means biblically to be ordained. We see this in the life of Paul. Paul gets saved. And then in Acts, I think it's chapter 9 or 19, I forget. He just starts preaching his first message, but then he stops. Now remember, Paul used to kill Christians in churches. He gets saved. And the first thing he does is he starts preaching. He starts giving the good news, but then he gets almost shut down. And you say, why? For three years, Paul doesn't do any more ministry. Look at Galatians chapter one. We're going to read a lot of verses, but it's okay. Y'all need to catch up anyway. All right. 11 verse, oh, sorry, Galatians chapter one, verses 11 through 24. But I make known to you, brethren, and the gospel which has been preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I uh, taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former uh, conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church uh, of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my co uh, contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Stop for a second. Let me tell you what's happening. Paul is trying to prove that he's been called. Prove in the sense of, he's not trying to prove himself, but he's trying to say, hey, this, I know that you guys are a little scared because everybody's scared of Paul. And I would be scared of Paul too. He was just killing all the Christians. And so now you're telling us you're one of us. And so he's trying to exclaim to him, guys, this is a genuine transformation. And the gospel that I'm preaching, I actually got it directly from God. He's trying to give them evidence of his call as a minister. Verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem into those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So stop for a second. Paul is letting them know, hey, I've actually gone up to Arabia. What is Arabia? Arabia was the place where Paul sat for three years. We don't know exactly 
exactly what was happening during those three years, but most theologians will present the idea that Paul was being trained. They were looking at his lifestyle to make sure that it was proven and appropriate for, to be a minister. Is this, are you still with me? So when Paul says, I'm going, I, I was up in Arabia, he's talking about that three-year period where he was being built up. Because some of us, especially in the culture that we live in with the YouTube overnight success culture, we allow ourselves to uh, let giftings provide tables that our character won't let us sit at. Let me try it one more time. Don't ever let your giftings bring you to a place where your character can't keep you. And the problem with the overnight success that we have is that, the, and I don't think there's a problem with fame. I don't think there's a problem with quote unquote success. God says in Genesis chapter 12, he says to, to Abraham, he says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you famous. But you got to look at fame as a tool, just like your money, just like your time. It's a tool. Don't elevate it. Don't make much of it, right? What happens is, and we miss out on this in our generation, we get overnight success, but we don't go through the trying periods which chisel our character. We, we just have overnight success and we haven't gone through failures and learned how to stay true and faithful when things are not going right. So Paul is trying to exclaim to them, I'm not an overnight success. I didn't just go from killing Christians to preaching to Christians. I actually had a waiting period. I need to tell you, I don't care if you're called to pastor. I don't care if you're called to be a business owner. Go through the process. It, this thing ain't easy. It's not an overnight thing as a Christian. God likes to do to us what I like to do to beef. Just cook it low and slow. Anybody else realize God likes to take his time on your calling and purpose? It's for your benefit in the long haul. Jesus waited 30 years before he started doing ministry. Joseph got a dream and didn't see the dream fulfilled until 13 years later. Paul is saying, I've gone through a process of character building when I first got ordained. I told you the story. They gave me a towel and they told me until you can clean these toilets like you would prepare a message, you're not ready for ministry because my character wasn't ready. I wanted to preach, but I didn't want to love the people I was preaching to. Oh, come on. And we have to get to a place where we are okay with God slowing us down and taking us through the process. Let me finish this verse up. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Verse 21, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was unknown by, fa by, the face, uh, by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So let me stop for a second. So after Paul leaves Arabia, he starts doing ministry and he starts saying, nobody recognized my face. You remember, there's no social media, so nobody knows what Paul looks like. They've just heard rumors, right? But watch this verse, and this verse made me cry when I was sitting in the coffee shop preparing this message. The barista brought me napkins and asked me if everything was all right. Verse 23. But they were hearing only, Paul, who formerly persecuted us, now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Before I wrap this sermon up, I can't ask you to be honest about your story until I choose to be honest about mine. One of the biggest compliments that I ever get from time to time, it like, this is the ultimate compliment for me. People will sit down with me and we'll talk about hard things. And they'll say, Pastor Dale, Pastor Dale, sorry, talking like Kelly, put extra syllables. I feel so safe with you. Sometimes I'll investigate, why do you feel safe? Man, because I, I know what you've been through. You talk about it often. I want you to imagine Paul 
should be embarrassed. But he starts telling him the testimony of what he was and what he is now. And the response of the people was not to be scared. It was to praise God. I'm going to talk in a moment that you're called to be a pastor. And part of that responsibility means that you got to start opening up about what you've been through. What if they talk about me? What if they talk about him? What if they laugh at me? What if they actually cry and give their heart to the Lord because of your story? As a pastor, part of my job is to be honest about what I've gone through so that you have a platform to be honest about what you've gone through. Now, yes, I do believe you need to be ordained by men. There need to, and what I mean by that, I'm not talking about a certificate or a license. I mean, people need to be able to look at your life and say, yes, the call of God's on his life. Yes, he lives according to the call of God on his life. But at the end of the day, and I might raise my voice here, I haven't preached all service, so I might preach right here. I don't care who doesn't ordain you. You're not ordained if God hasn't ordained you. Okay, and let me say it differently. It doesn't matter who refuses to ordain you. If God ordains you. Now, this is not to give you fuel for rebellion because we need to learn humility and submission. But hear me out. There are times where pastors and leaders miss it, where people who are in charge of those with the call, we miss it. That does not mean that you're not still called. They might not recognize your calling, but you're still called. Is this making sense? If God ordains you, if God is for you, who can be against you? Thank you. I got two. They drove two hours and got some energy. Why? I say this because I've, I personally, I've gone through seasons. I remember one time I, I was starting to grow in the prophetic and the Lord was speaking some stuff to me. This one time I got a dream and woke up almost, it was such a crazy dream. In the dream, the worship leader at the church that I was at was in a gay um, sex club. And in the dream, I remembered it. I still remember it almost like it was yesterday. I could remember. It was almost like I was there. So I woke up from the dream, and at the time, I called my pastor, and I said, hey, I'm starting to move in the prophetic, and this is what I'm seeing. He's like, God hasn't called you to the prophetic. I was like, so discouraged. I walked away. It just bothered my spirit. Like, ah, this feels real, man. And so I was praying through it. Long story short, I was a little rebellious or repentant later. I, um, I called the worship leader up and said, hey, can we talk? We started chatting. I said, hey, this might be so weird, and if it's off, it's off. But I think God's going to use me as a prophetic voice. I had this dream, and I started describing the dream, and he starts shaking. He says, when did you have that dream? I told him when I had that dream. He says, oh, my God. God woke you up while I was still there. People not acknowledging your gift is not a reason for you not to move in your gift. Some of you are waiting to be acknowledged before you walk in your gifting. Walk in it now. Why? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. A man's gift works room for him and brings him before great people. See, I moved in my gift and here's what happened. I went back to my pastor. I said, hey, I got to repent because I I did something you probably wouldn't want me to do. But here's how it turned out. It was an on word. They're repenting, all that kind of stuff. And my pastor at the time, he just apologized. He said, man, I'm so sorry. He's like, we're going to make you the pastor prayer. Like he went from you're not called to, you're called to everything. (laughs) Why? Because I decided to walk in my gift and that gift made room for me. What is the gift that God's given you? Will you use it so that you can make, the God can make room for you, all right? Last one, worship team, help me out here. Trigger warning. We've been flying high, let me land the plane. This is me personally. I've taught you what I see from scripture. But me personally, I believe 
one of the main roles of a pastor is to be a spiritual father. Now, that's a loaded term. That term has been used to abuse people. That term has been used to control people. But I want you to understand what it means to be a father. It's Father's Day. Every good parent knows. Levente is a good parent. He's got a seven-year-old and I think a five-year-old. Beautiful kids. They look like a stock photo together. There's a way that he parents his kids. We were having lunch recently and their kids weren't eating correctly. So he's like correcting them and moving plates and so forth. If Levente continues to father them like that when they're 25, it's abusive. Here's where we as pastors mess up in our spiritual fathering. In a period of your immaturity, I need to walk closely with you. I need to walk. If you're a baby Christian, we need to walk. Because in this house, and I don't ever want to hear, oh, I don't get fed. Number one, you got good preachers in this house. But number two, as a mature Christian, in my house, the only people who get fed are the disabled and babies. And what needs to happen, watch this, is that as a pastor, we walk together as you're a baby Christian. And so you come to me and you say, Pastor Dale, I'm thinking, should I buy this house or should I get this job and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to be right there. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to lay out the options. I'm going to tell you what I would do, but then you make the decisions. And then if that relationship maintains that way for the next 10 years, something's wrong. Mm, I'm trying to give good teaching here. The dynamic of being a father has to change as you grow and mature. And so in the beginning, it's like, man, you're, you're not a strong Christian. You're still struggling through addiction. I'm going to be a little tough on you. I'm going to be like, hey, accountability. Hey, how's your addiction? Where are you at? Like, come on, let's get out of the club. Let's, let's go to church. Let's, I'm going to pick you up and all that stuff. But as you mature as a Christian, if, you, if Pastor Andrew comes and he's like, Pastor Dell, uh, can you give me permission to buy a house? Like, are you nuts? You grown adult? You got a prayer life? You got discernment? You go ahead and decide yourself. I, I want to put that example out there because I think when we hear the term spiritual father, if you're like me, it triggers us because we automatically think of control. Some of us don't have the best parents. So the idea of spiritual father, some of us like me didn't have a father. So what does that even mean to be a spiritual father? You guys can go ahead and start playing. It'll help me preach faster. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I know I'm a little low energy because I really want to teach this so that you get a solid understanding of my role in your life as your pastor, but then also what God's called you to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. For the sake of time, we won't go there. But this is the text where it says, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. And here's the deal. Teachers produce students. Fathers produce sons. Paul tells them, you got great revelation, you got good teaching, but you don't have fathers. Why? What's the difference? Teaching is occupational. Fathering is relational. With teaching, I can clock out. I'm five o'clock. I ain't pastoring no more. But as a father, I've got to, I have people who call me at two in the morning and just cry. <laughs> it's like, that's not in my resume as a teacher, but it is as a father. And I think we would heal a lot of wounds if pastors would begin to see themselves as in attempts. And none of us are perfect. We're all going to mess up. Every parent knows. There's no perfect parents because I'm not a parent yet. I will be the first. But the heart of a spiritual father needs to be developing and raising up sons. 
Now here's where we're laying. What does this have to do with you? You guys can play strong. Don't play soft. I want to hear you. In Ephesians chapter 4, towards the end of that text that we read in the beginning of service, Paul says that this is for the perfecting and the maturing of the saints. Point number one, why this matters. Why the idea of you knowing what a pastor is matters. One, so that you can access maturation. That you can pull on your pastor to grow. That you can, instead of waiting for me to call you, you hit me up in a text and go, hey, I just want to talk to you. No problems, no issues. I just, let's talk scripture. Let's talk Bible. It's for your maturation. Number two, this matters, the call of a pastor, because more than all of the other gifts that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, this one is most relational with the flock in building family. So why does this matter? Number one, maturation. But number two, for the sake of family. Everybody needs a pastor because everybody needs a family. Number three, you've been called to receive impartation from all the gifts, all fourfold, but especially from the pastoral gift because more than all of the other folds of ministry, this is going to be the one that you relate to and walk with the most. So what are those impartations? And please write these down because this is why it matters now to you. Number one, you've been called to care for people. Number two, you've been called to teach the word. And number three, you've been called to help build family. I don't know if you remember my three points of what a pastor's role and call is, but those are the three points, to take care of people, to teach the word, and to also help build and orchestrate family. Guess what you've been called to do as a Christian, not even as a pastor? Because you look at these roles in evangelism and you ask yourself, what am I supposed to be pulling from these? From the prophetic, I'm pulling the word of the Lord. From evangelism, I'm pulling souls. From apostolic, I'm pulling vision. But from pastoring, I'm getting impartation on how to care for people how to love beyond my own capacity, how to teach the word. Well, and I, don't, I don't know the word. Get some disciples and I promise you, you'll learn the word. And then number three, to help build family. And I want to ask our church family, you may be watching online, or you may be here tonight. I want to ask you this. Are you helping to build this family? And this is not about numbers. This is about getting broken people into a place where they can heal. Are you helping to build the family? My last point. More than all of the other gifts, all of the other folds of ministry, I believe that the role of the pastor is central in building God's church as a family. Stand with me. Have you gotten something tonight? Some days I'm going to preach, some days I'm just going to teach. But I really wanted to teach this one so that you know what you have access from your pastor for. One of the things I, I love hearing, it was such a weird phrase to hear when I first heard it, but it feels like such a nice compliment. It's like people started saying, our pastor smells like sheep. And it's like, <laughs> and I think what they were exclaiming is like, y'all got an annoying pastor. Ain't perfect. Sometimes a little aggressive, a little abrasive. But you've got a pastor who genuinely cares about you. 
who wants access to your life, not to judge you, not to beat you up. It may feel like that sometimes if you listen to my preaching. But as Kelly and John would testify, I'm a punk. I'm a softy. And I want to encourage you, maybe you've never actually really been pastored. You've gone to a church, you've had a pastor, but you've never really been pastored. I don't know what God's going to do with our church. I don't know how it's going to grow, but I know at this stage, I've got access and bandwidth to be able to pastor and walk with our people, not just on Sunday, but in your relationships, in your occupation, not to control, to advise and to walk with you. Would you close your eyes? I know this is not an easy word for some because like me, some of you have gone through abusive situations, abusive leadership. You might even be watching online watching by YouTube or podcasts and you've gone through just horrible authority figure issues. Maybe it wasn't a pastor. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe you've just seen how pastors are in 2022 and you're like, I just don't want any part of that. I just, no, I'm sick. I'm tired of it. I, I get you. But friend, Jesus has given the pastoral gift to help and to serve you. So as your eyes are closed, I want to I want to take a moment for you to talk to God, even watching online. If there's some stuff there, some junk there around authority, around pastors, maybe you've been hurt, maybe even by me you've been hurt and you're struggling to get through forgiveness, would you just take a moment and to expose that to the Lord right now? Go ahead, just expose that to the Lord. You can pray quietly in your heart, but just talk to the Lord. Lord, here's how I feel about pastors. I don't have a real good outlook. I'm kind of scared of them. Take a moment and just be honest with the Lord. Jesus. Now, the second prayer I'd like you to pray is that you would ask God to help you to be pastored, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And I don't want to trigger you. I'm not talking about submission or in that realm, but have you been open to being cared for, to being rebuked and corrected? Have you been open to being encouraged? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't even know how. Guess what? Just ask them. Go ahead. Ask the Lord. Help me to be pastor. Whatever that looks like, teach me what that looks like. In this house, if you're watching online at your house, go ahead. Jesus. Now here's the last prayer we're going to pray. On some level, we've all been called, maybe not to be a pastor, but to walk in a pastoral spirit, to care for people, to teach the word, and to build the family. And many of you have not been walking in that calling, but will you ask God to teach you what it means to pastor your family, to pastor your friends, your relationships, to pastor your coworkers? It's gonna look different. It won't look like church on Sundays, but it will look like something. What does it look like to care for those who are around me, to pastor them well? Would you go ahead and just begin to pray? and ask God to teach you on your level how to pastor. Go ahead.